You know, here recently, you, you hear a lot about, in the, especially in the news, about jobs. And you know, all the jobs that are available. If you walk into any retail or restaurant establishment, what do you see on the, on the door? Help wanted or now hiring. Like, everybody's hiring now. All this, this talk about jobs. And, you know, most people view their jobs as necessities that must be endured to put bread on the table. Like, they think, if God has any interest at all in my, in my job, it's that we don't cheat on our taxes and we give off of our salaries. He doesn't have any other interest at all besides that, to which I would say, ah, that's wrong. The Bible talks a lot about how we work. You know, we think about people, you know, in our jobs, we think about what God has given to us, the idea of the ability to be able to work, and work being something that is a part of our worship. Sometimes we think about worship as just the songs that we sing when we're here on Sunday morning, something that you do inside of church. But we don't think about our work and what we do as an act of worship. Believe it or not, the Bible has a lot to say about our work. In Genesis chapter 2, at the first mention of work in the Bible, the Hebrew word for work, the root, is abad, which shares the same root as worship. That's crazy to think that initially in Genesis, the same root for work is worship. Adam worshiped God in the garden, not just by praying, and staying away from bad apples, he worshiped God by doing the work of God in the garden that God had given him to do. It cannot be coincidental that the majority of the parables that Jesus shared had the idea of work around them. And 40 of the miracles recorded in the book of Acts, 39 of them, they occurred outside of the gathering of believers. So we see this idea of worship and work tied together. It's apparent that God, the God of the Bible, is as concerned with displaying his power outside of the walls of the church as much as he is inside the church when we gather together. And we do that through our work how we interact with the world. So I want to suggest four ways you worship God while you work. Four ways. Worshipful work fulfills God's purpose and creation. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along with me there. In Genesis 2.15, God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden with the assignment of to work the ground and keep it. Now think about this. That was prior to the curse. That was prior to sin coming into the world. So work was not a punishment inflicted upon Adam for his sin. Work was a part of God's original design for his creatures on this earth. God made Adam to be a gardener. And a gardener is not a park ranger who just guards the garden. God put him there to develop it. He was to take the raw materials of the earth and develop them for the glory of God and for the benefit of all human beings. He was made in God's image. And God, as the creator, he put Adam in the garden to be a creator 
of the things in the garden. Do you remember the word that God used for creation? When he looked back after the seven days of creation, he stepped back and he said, it is, is good. It is good. Good doesn't mean perfect, does it? No, good doesn't mean perfect. Perfect means it cannot be improved upon. God created the world raw, in a good state, so that we could develop it and cultivate it for His glory and for the good of, human, of humankind. So here's a way to understand this. My wife, who has the joy of being in here with us today, I didn't know she was going to be here with us today, or I wouldn't have used this illustration. But my wife is perfect in every sense of the being. There's no improvement upon her this morning. But when she woke up and rolled out of bed this morning, she was good. There was some cultivating that needed to take place to get her into her perfect state that she's sitting back there in now today. You guys, you, you see where I'm going with this, yes. You know, contractors take raw materials of sand and cement and they use them to create buildings. The raw materials that God has given us. Artists take the raw materials of, of, of color, music, and they arrange them into art. Lawyers take the principles of justice and codify them into laws that benefit society. This is key. As we do this, in a way, God himself is at work creating through us. Does that make sense? As we are using what God has given us to create, God is working through us to perfect his creation. Psalms 147, 13 and 14 says, For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He's speaking here to a city. How does he strengthen the bars of your city? By city planners, architects, by politicians who pass good laws to protect the city. How does he bless the children in the midst? To the work of teachers and pediatricians. How does he make peace within the borders? By means of good lawyers and policemen. How does he fill us with the finest of wheat? By farmers and factory workers and restaurant owners who provide food. Our professions, Martin Luther said, are like the mass God wears caring for the world. I love the way that we think about that. Our professions are like the mass that God wears in caring for the world. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we ask God, give us this day our daily bread. When we pray that prayer, and he does give us our daily bread, he does it by means of the farmer who planted the field and harvested the grain. The baker who made the flour and prepared and made it into bread for our field. So it was through those professions of the farmer and the baker and maybe the grocery store clerk or the restaurant owner that helped give us that daily bread that we then put into our bellies. All of these are at play when God answers our prayer for daily bread. You see, some of you in your work, some of you have this, I hate my work and I love my work. There's some of you, there may be a few of you that are, eh, ask me on whatever day that it is. Some days I feel like I love it, some days I hate it. Some of you get this divine satisfaction. You're like, 
I, I, the work that I do, this is what I was born to do. This is what I absolutely love. The word vocation comes from the Latin word voca, which means to call. It's how God designed you and called you to serve the world. I love thinking about this in the, uh, the terms of the old uh, 1924 uh, runner, uh, Olympic star Eric Liddell. In his preparation for the 1924 Olympics, he is confronted by his sister. And his sister says, who thinks that he should be a missionary to China. She says, this is what God is calling you to do. And, he, and Eric looks and he says, I believe that God has made me for a purpose. But, and he has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Eric Liddell was able to glorify God with the talents and the abilities that he was given through running in the Olympics. Many business people feel like that. They're doing something they love and they feel like this is what I'm made for. And when I do it, I feel God's pleasure. I can feel the work of the Spirit working through me as I do my work to the, the best of my ability. Now, one word of clarification here is one of the, the curses of the fall is that work became toilsome. It became difficult. God cursed the ground and said that the thorns and thistles would frustrate our efforts. No longer would gardening be easy for Adam and his descendants. It would be difficult. Work at that time became a compulsory act of survival. For many of you, maybe your work is not something you feel like, oh, I was just born to do this. But maybe it's partially fulfilling. But it's also toilsome and draining. For others of you, maybe you hate your job entirely and you do it only to survive. Those are the sad effects of the curse. And you may have to work for a while to kind of get yourself through that, that, that thought process. So what do you do if you're in that type of job? What if you have a job that you just absolutely hate, but you feel like you're locked in, like you have no other option. You can still do that job faithfully as an act of service. The way you work, even in a job that you dislike, is a way that you can glorify God by working to the hardest, working to the best of your ability. And consider that there might be a distinction between your job and the pursuit of the calling that God has placed you in. There may be things that you do to collect a paycheck that allow you to do other things that you love doing. Maybe it's volunteering at church, loving on kids in the kids' ministry. Maybe it's some community project that you just love doing, but there's no funding for allow you to do that full time. Whatever it might be, maybe it's that God's given you this job to fund your ability to do what you love. The Apostle Paul's calling, for example, was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. How did he pay for his ability to travel all around the known Roman world and share the gospel? He was a tent maker. That's how he made money. As, as he traveled, he made tents. Some people do other things to free them to be able to do the things that, that is their passion. 
So don't always look at, I have this terrible job that I'm locked into that I hate. Look at it as, God's given me the ability to put food on my table to do other things that I love. If you're one of those rare people that finds a career that fits your calling from the beginning, then that is a blessing. And that is a gift of God that you should thank Him for every single day. You know, I look at it as, you know, I'm a banker, Pastor Jay, it works in pharmaceuticals. God has given us that ability, given us that ability to place money on our table so we can be pastors to you. My, my desire is not to be a banker. My desire is to be a full-time pastor, to serve more people in our community. But if I let my mind get too wrapped up in the fact that, oh, I, I'm not doing what I love 24-7, it can be discouraging. I look at it as though God has blessed me with a job to be able to do what I love, which is being your pastor. We look at worshipful work fulfills God's purpose and creation. Number one, worshipful work pursues the highest standards of excellence. If our work is done unto God, it should be done according to the highest standards of excellence. Our work is like an offering to God. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You have a higher boss than your employer. We work for a greater reward than our salary as Christians. And everything we do, Paul says, we do it unto God, which means we do it as a statement of our worthiness of our God. C.S. Lewis, Lewis once noted how valleys undiscovered by human eyes are still filled with beautiful flowers. And he says, for whom did God create that beauty? if no human eyes would ever see it. Lewis's answer was that God does some things only for his own pleasure. He sees even when no one else does. Christians, we make beautiful things for God, often when no one else notices. When you're the only one at work, that's willing to do that hard job that no one else sees, that you never get recognition for. Think of it as you're doing your work. You're working your hardest for the glory of God. Someone says, well, my boss is terrible. He doesn't reward me properly. He never gives me the recognition. Listen, I've been there. That's hard. And that causes a motivation issue in your heart. But you have to come back to the reminder of you're not doing it for him or her. You're doing your work as unto the Lord. Paul says that this is one of the things that should set Christians apart. They do their work for the glory of God. Whether we mop floors or we write contracts, we do it all for God's glory. The way I do this is a statement about God's worthiness. We do it, God, we, I do this work as though I'm doing it for you. You know, middle school, high school students, 
sitting here today, when you go to school every week, the way you treat your schoolwork and your homework is a statement about how you view God. Are you doing your work your hardest for the glory of God? Because God gets glory when you try your hardest. When you study for that test, when you dig into and do that paper, when you take your grades seriously, God gets glory in your effort. Maybe you're not a straight-A student. That's not every person. Not every person will be a straight-A student. But it's the effort. It's the effort that you put forth in your work, in your schoolwork. So we see worshipful work pursues the highest standard of excellence. Third of all, worshipful work reflects the highest standard of ethics. Sir Conan Doyle, if you know who that author is, he's the one who wrote all of these Sherlock Holmes. Sir Conan Doyle, who worked in the British government, once played a practical joke on 12 respected, well-known men inside the British government. He sent out to each of them an anonymous telegram from inside the government that said, flee at once, all is discovered. That's all it said. He checked back six hours, and all men were making the preparation to leave. <laughs> Lack of integrity is nothing new in the workplace. But work that worships God will conform to the highest standard of ethics because it seeks to demonstrate the justice and the integrity of God. Business ethics really matter to the believer because our work is done unto God and our ethical practices, they reflect on God. When we call ourselves believers, Christians, followers of Jesus, and then our ethics do not line up with what we, who we say we are, that is a problem. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord but a just weight is his delight. A false balance means, I think this is the way Solomon would interpret this for us in Proverbs, a false balance is fudging on mileage reports, padding business expenses, skimping on time cards, calling in sick when we're not, commandeering office supplies for personal use, unreported income, and so on and so on is an abomination to God in our work. To worship God in your work means having the highest standards, having standards that are even higher than the company that you work for. We as Christians should be above reproach in every aspect of our lives. So worshipful work reflects the highest standards of ethics. And number four, worshipful work makes blessing others its bottom line. To follow Jesus means that you think about your life the way he thought about his, as an offering to others. How can you be a blessing to others in the workplace? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus leveraged his assets. He leveraged his position of strength for us. That's what you do when you follow Jesus. You begin to leverage your places of strength to bless and serve others like Jesus gave it all for us. So this might look differently for you depending on where you are in the workplace. Maybe for some of you who own a business, it means you think more than merely personal profit for your bottom line. You start asking questions like, I know we can make a profit from this, but how can we genuinely help others through our business? Or how can I use this business not to just enrich myself, but to bless others? The example that comes to my mind, you know, my dad was a young pastor back in the 80s and did not make very much money at all. They were very, very poor growing up. And we had a pediatrician in town that did not go to our church. He had his own practice. His name was Dr. Carson. I can still you know, picture my mind sitting in his, his office. Dr. Carson used his practice to be a blessing to me as a kid and to my parents who did not have much money. Dr. Carson would never let my mom pay for any of our pediatric care the entire time we were growing up, using his business to be a blessing to other people. Maybe for those of you that don't own a business, sometimes blessing others looks like doing things on the job that you don't like to do that nobody else likes to do. Sometimes blessing others looks like performing your job so well that your boss never has to worry about the quality of your work. If you've ever been a boss, having employees under you that you don't have to worry about, you know that you give them a job and it will be done exactly the way that you want it to be done, that is a blessing. That is blessing someone else. Let me give you a word of warning here as we, we finish up. Worship God, not your work. Worship God, not your work. When Adam and Eve fell, our relationship to work changed. Instead of being something we pursued to glorify God and serve others, work became one of our primary sources of identity and ultimately idolatry. We define our worth by the status of our job or even maybe by the fact that we do or do not have a job. We depend on the security of our job to take care of us in the future. You see this change in relationship to work in the descendants of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 4. There were two different lines of descendants. You had the line of Cain, who killed Abel and was driven out by God into the wilderness. His descendants developed agriculture, music, metal. They were great workers like they were supposed to be, but the one thing to notice is that they were defined by their jobs. This culminated in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel in which they built this magnificent tower, a great achievement, but they made it to make a name unto themselves. They were finding their identity in the fact that they were building this great tower that they wanted to reach up into the heavens. What God gave to us as a means of saying, look at God and worship him, has now become a means of saying, look at me and be impressed. Look at all of my college degrees and be impressed. Look at how I've climbed the corporate ladder and be impressed. In contrast to the descendants of Cain, the descendants of Seth, 
were a godly line, not defined by their work, but defined instead by those who became those who began to be called upon the name of the Lord, Genesis 4.25. The point is not, of course, that they didn't work or they worked less. The point is that worshipers of God are not defined by their work as far as their careers. Instead, they are defined by the name of the Lord for whom they worship. Because of the fall, many of us worship our work in that we make it our identity. We make it as who we are. I am fill in the blank. I even used it today talking about being bank, working in banking, calling myself a banker, finding my identity in being a banker. Identity is in the fact that we are followers of Christ. So many times we make our career our security blanket. This is where I find my security. And when we do that, work is a terrible God. Our work will abuse us over and over and over again. God alone is to be the only one that we worship. Finding our identity in Christ is the only place that we as believers should find our identity. He is the one who is taking care of the ultimate problem. Not our lack of money. Not our lack of status. Christ died to reconcile you to God. He took care of of you in that and won't he take care of your needs day after day after day yes he will yes he will if you give your soul to him and you worship him and everything that you do you can enjoy your work no matter what you do. Because you are not depending on life in your work to find fulfillment. Or you could say it like this, when Jesus is your life, you can enjoy the rest of your life. When you find your identity in Jesus and being a follower of Jesus and we look at our work as an opportunity to worship him no matter what we do, then we can enjoy the rest of our life. Let's pray.